Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to our Sunjune episode, where we will be talking to Laura and Steven from the band Sunjune about their newest album, Somewhere, which is out February 5th, uh, 2021. Make sure you get the year right. But we talked to Laura and Steven. Uh, we have a general interview portion where we'll just ask them questions all about the band. And then we will go through their latest album somewhere, track by track, ask them questions about each song on the album, and get a bunch of info about the band and the album. So, Nate, you ready to jump into this? Yes, sir. All right, today we are blessed to have with us Laura Caldwell and Steven Salisbury of the band Sunjune, an Austin-based regret pop band. Sunjune releases their incredible sophomore record, Somewhere, on February 5th of 2021. Laura and Steven, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and to talk about the band and the record. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, so we got this new segment that you got, you are both our guinea pigs, all right? And uh, we usually do uh, this or that type of icebreaker, but we're mixing it up today. We're going to start with this new segment called What's One, where basically we're going to ask a few questions that start with the phrase, what's one? For example, what's one thing you like about Andrew? To which I would say he lives very far away from me. (laughs) We're going to start with uh, what's one food you couldn't live without. Can I answer for Steven? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Pizza. Uh, great answer. I'd agree. But I'd say eggplant farm, <laughs> Laura, if I had to get real serious. Mm, yep. Nailed it. All right. Next up, what is one funny memory you have from touring? Ugh, we're such serious people. It's so yeah. hard to... <laughs> Uh, oh God! <laughs> well, remember Laura when we stayed with um, Hannah in in uh, yeah, my like best friend <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> Who we were staying with, she fell asleep, and we couldn't get inside her apartment after oh, the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> we were this close to checking into a hotel nearby when she, I like had to track down her new boyfriend who i just met that night like through you know social media and asked him to call like let us in (laughs) he wasn't even there um she feels bad to about it to this day but yeah i would say also um uh just all of the many um small beds that michael's had to um hang his feet off of while he sleeps yes (laughs) just yeah montage of those sleeping arrangements for michael i'd say are pretty funny yeah how michael's definitely over six i'm so short everybody's a giant to me but mike michael's what laura six something yeah he's over six foot well well over well over six foot and we toured in italy which is kind of built for people like laura and i and so he was always on these cots that were just like up to his knees what's one album that helped you make it this far through quarantine. Steven, would your would Widow's Peak be your your album of quarantine? 
Um, Although that didn't come out right at the. Do you want you want me to say that because you got it for me for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it was a great great gift. Um, I would say uh, Waxahachie, Saint Cloud, and this Joseph Shabison album called Anne for me. But I'm excited to hear Laura's. Oh, it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, definitely Waxahachie's St. Cloud was big for this year. But I just, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm so late to so many. Like, I just started listening to the Salt album, and I've just been, like, jamming that this whole month. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go with Waxahachie. Just keep it simple. What's one of your favorite songs written by the other person? So, Laura, what's your favorite song that Steven's written and vice versa? I guess Young. I gotta go with Young for Steven. Uh, my favorite song of Laura's is the closing track off this new record called Colors. So, Andrew and I, um, we always close whatever uh, segment we do to start, the old one, the new one here. Um, with asking a very important question about us. So what's one city you love the most between Philly and Boston? Andrew's from Philadelphia. I'm from Boston. We ask everybody to to pick a side. Philly. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Laura, do you want to expand on that, though? Well, I've, I've got Philly family. Uh uh, currently my sister lives there with her, her kids and husband and, uh, but I have cousins and, uh, aunts and uncles and stuff who live out there. So yeah, I also love Philly cheesesteaks and I spent many years in Boston and I gotta say, you know, it's just okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not only did she pick Philly, but she's dissing Boston. (laughs) This is the best day of my life. She's rubbing it in hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> she has deep green line knowledge too. You know, this isn't just a casual dismissal of Boston. Oh yeah. That's right. Um That's right. Was it university that brought you up north? Yes. I I went to um an art school there and it was it's no longer there. <laughs> <laughs> Got shut down. <laughs> My art degree. I'm noticing <laughs> yeah, a bit of it, bitterness. I think I'm putting the pieces uh, together. Yeah, no, that existed <laughs> with or without that at <laughs> school, for sure. Although, you know, Cambridge is cool. Hey, the, you guys played at the Sinclair? Any good Boston venues in Cambridge? I'm, I don't we know never... why I'm trying to make up the distance. It's so far of a gap. <laughs> I, any points I get here aren't going to do anything. How about I'm, my best bet, Stephen? Stephen, yeah, come that on. That is your best so, bet. So, think of Salisbury, know. Massachusetts. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Laura's <laughs> Laura's Italian family is in Philly, and my Italian family originated in Boston. So, and Run for Cover, our record, our, our that's co-releasing the oh, record. Yep. Is, uh, they're in Boston. So, yeah, let's so go with point. Boston for me. Yes, Stephen. Yeah. Thank you. You got a half-hearted Boston. I know. Name. Yeah, I love to. <laughs> it I was definitely. I once. I was just going to talk about how I got li- like literally blown off my bike from the wind, in the like one winter biking around Boston. It was just a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it was in, it was cartoonish. 
Well, slight transition here, but still speaking of locations. So Sunjun is comprised of New Yorker Laura Caldwell on vocals, keys and guitar, Texan Michael Bain, uh, he's the lead guitarist, Californian Stephen Salisbury, who plays guitar as well, North Carolinian Justin Harris, who plays bass, and lastly, Illinoisan Sarah Schultz, who plays drums. So... You guys all come from all over the country, and despite having such different backgrounds and coming from different places, what unified you all to start a band? Ooh, that's tough because Stephen and I had already kind of started the band, and um, Michael was playing with us, but he was playing bass, which I guess he had never done before. (laughs) (laughs) He was really just noodling around on that bass, and it was awesome. But <laughs> then we thought, okay, yeah, you should noodle on the guitar. And um, we just we we had different friends kind of coming in and out of the band. So um, Justin was in a friend group of ours, and Sarah was also in a friend group of ours, and they both had been playing around Austin in other bands, and had seen us, I think, right, Stephen. Sarah did, yeah. And then Sarah had seen us, at least. (laughs) Justin Mm -hmm. didn't care. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I can't remember exactly how we recruited Justin, but I do remember, like, talking about having Sarah come drum with us. Like, I think it was, like, a 4th of July party. Like, we were just, like, hanging out. And I was like, cool, you want to come drum? She was like, yes, please, that would be awesome. And, uh... Yeah, I think she was looking for something, some kind of um, project that was like a little more serious than the one she had been um, playing around in at the time. I just like that we were in that story. We're a little bit more serious than some other band back, back then. <laughs> um, just a little bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Not by much. I would say that Laura and I really lucked out. I mean, um, Laura's a great... Um, I think has great like musical instincts, but Laura and I are by far like the least accomplished musicians in the group. Um, everyone else like, I don't know, played out, has played out for longer and usually and can like switch instruments. And um, so I think just what brought us together was like each of us could bring something kind of, kind of unique to the table. So I think there's like, there's collaboration without a lot of like competitive overlap, which I think is good. But yeah, I think I think that, and I think that like we all have big musical overlaps, but we also we each listen to a lot of music that the other people don't. So that's another kind of um, fun thing. And we even <clears throat> we play this game on tour called um, "You're Gonna Hate This," um, where we try mm-hmm. to play each other. We play each other music that we like that we. Th- that we believe that other people are going to hate. And you, the more other people hate it, the more points you get. And I feel like the fact that we can play that game just proves that like we're all coming at this from a little bit different angles, and together it works. So most of the bands that I listen to, um, it seems like have like a main songwriter, even though usually everybody contributes. There's usually that one figurehead. But you both have kind of from the get-go, uh, kind of split the duties in that department. So you two are 
in a relationship. So what's it like? Some of your songs seem to be like from the outside looking in, like they're written about the other person or involve experiences with the other person on some level. And maybe there's songs you've written about the other person that aren't, isn't on the album or whatever. But what's it like writing about the other partner and also being written about? I could see it getting kind of awkward and painful, yet also being beautiful and sweet. How's that dynamic? And is it ever difficult to navigate that? Oh, man. Yeah, it's um, (laughs) I think. Well, I mean, I always jump to like the other side of it quickly whenever, whenever anyone asks me this, because. I always automatically assume it's not about me. It's like some other <laughs> long lost love. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's like at times it's it's weird and like hard to navigate. And other times it feels like you've tapped into this like other world of being in a relationship where you're communicating but not actually communicating, if that makes any sense. Um, Because, you know, uh, the key to any successful relationship is that, and we get to do it through music, so that's kind of cool. But, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the times we're not necessarily writing about each other, too. What do you think, old Stevie boy? (laughs) Yeah, I think think Laura has a much harder job because she has to sing, you know, sing it. Yeah. So like if if she writes a song, it, you know it's her it's hers to sing. So there's no like it's direct. But then if I write a song and she has to sing it, that that seems like a lot harder to me. Um, but I'd say that like we didn't start we we st- we st- a lot of the songs we started writing together weren't were were definitely not about each other. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that we had a couple of years of that or however long. I think like helped us ease into yeah more present tense writing and I think that for me sometimes it's like a fun and like fun's maybe the wrong word but um it's funny maybe I don't know what the word would be but like sometimes I can be self-deprecating like through her you know like I'll write a lyric that might be about us but it's like kind of a dig against me um because, like, obviously, I think all of us try to, like, wrestle with how we act in relationships, you know? And hopefully, like, we're getting mature enough to where it's not, like... <laughs> I, would never, I would never write an angry song about Laura, you know, and then <laughs> ask her to sing it, you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a lot of, like, understanding and also just, like, attempts to be better or something. Uh, and with all that said, like, I don't even know if we're exactly sure if we're like 100% positive as to what we're writing about when it's happening. So, um, there's enough wiggle room and sometimes I'll hear lyrics that Laura wrote and I'm like, Oh man, damn, that hits deep. And then she'll tell me what it's about later. I'm like, Oh, it had nothing to do with me. Uh, you know, so, uh, and it's okay. It's still, it still hits deep. Right. So, uh, uh, whether she intended oh, yeah, to or not. Same here. <laughs> Yeah. I I used to think bad with time was like just about me because I am not good with time, and <laughs> turns out it was just <laughs> yeah. But you know maybe some it other is. random interview. No 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 no. <laughs> it was. Well, the line uh, came funny. from that, but you know I I don't know I I like thinking that I like thinking that your brain 
attaches to things for reasons you don't necessarily understand. So even if the line isn't consciously written, right, it could mm. be. Anyway. Yeah, some someone someone's definitely connected to it. <laughs> <laughs> so also on top of that whole um, romantic relational level, there is a real band relationship, songwriter relationship level. How have you developed your relationship in this area to write such a cohesive record that feels like it could potentially be written by one person in terms of how well it's put together and how um, succinct and concise the songwriting is? How, how do you guys work on and how have you grown that relationship over the years? I can't really pinpoint one, like the, the moments of, of that. I know, though, over the years that as as just the like us as bandmates um, have grown to be better friends and like understanding everyone's musical tastes, I think, has a big part of how we collaborate, because uh, sometimes I'm I'm pushing for like something really specific for someone to play, but it's just like not natural for them. And then what they end up bringing is like way better. So I think just listening to one another. I think, and first of all, I, I love that when you hear the record, it feels cohesive to you. And the reason why I think that is, is because I think everything is filtered through Laura. Like <clears throat> Laura does most of the arranging and um, which is just like such a huge part. Like she mentioned young but like you should have heard the demo of Young versus like what she turned it into, <laughs> like like you know it's just like night and day. So like she's thinking about rhythms, and then she'll filter through a bunch of my bad ideas, and then a bunch of you know Michael's great ideas, and kind of pare it down. Um, so I really think that like yeah, I mean there's no question in my mind that like that's Laura's the is the the executive editor and like the director of the sound. Um, and, uh, whether she, I mean, I don't know if she'll like acquiesce to that or not, but I certainly think of her that way. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. I think it's both (laughs) of us for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I, we don't fight each other on decisions that often. Like when, when we're making the, when we were making the record, you know, we were really like supportive of, of our own ideas, but we also like with overthink a lot of the decisions together. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I'd say we're like our, our OCD is triggered by different things, but like I always, I always default to Laura's like broader vision and, and, and I think that's, if it, if it feels cohesive, I really think that's why it, it does. All right, so moving on to the record itself, I heard in an interview you did that you finished recording somewhere on the day before lockdown, which is really great luck. So how has the journey been for the band from that point until now, which at this point, at the time of recording, we're just a few days away from somewhere's release date? What a what a journey it's been for all of us this year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, well, there is a good amount of time where we did not you know we weren't getting together we weren't playing and I think that really as soon as like late fall hit and we were starting to do some of these sessions 
And I should say that we had we have a um, someone stepping in to play rhythm and and do backups, which is what Stephen uh, performs with us live. So like it felt like we had to really relearn a lot of stuff because so much was finished in the studio, and so we didn't really have that time to like yeah play the songs live. Um, so that was weird, um, but it makes it all the more exciting for now because it, I don't know, it just feels like, oh, yay, it's finally happening. But we got to make a lot of music videos in quarantine, so that was pretty, that was a good bonding moment for all of us, I would say. And also, I lived with um, our drummer, Sarah, for a few months when I came back to Austin um, Steven and I moved out of, out of our house and then like, you know, you, I know you don't need my whole life story, but we moved around. We stayed in LA for a little while with his family. And then I came back here and then living with her for a few months and her partner and her dog and Sam, who is like our mascot, <laughs> <laughs> love that dog so much. <laughs> um, that was really awesome. Cause we got to just like we didn't play as much as we should have probably, but it was just me and her and we got to play like one-on-one, which never really happened before. I thought that was pretty, it was a gift in whatever cheesy way you want to put it. But, um, but being, being kind of separated has been hard, especially with, with Steven in North Carolina now. Yeah. I moved to North Carolina in August. Everyone supports his dreams. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's that dream? To be a scientist. Uh, I moved to North Carolina to, to go to, to go to school, but, um, yeah, so we just did a lot of moving around, I guess, since the record was finished and, um, yeah, it was, it was all some kind of craziness, but we've been like super lucky and, uh, I don't know, we're kind of just like grateful for being, having, I don't know, having a lot of things that a lot of people don't during this year, I guess. So your sound has evolved from record one to record two, and a big part of that isn't just from a songwriting or instrumental standpoint, but because Years was recorded over tape, where Somewhere was mainly done digitally with Danny Reich producing the record. So what went into the decision to take a different approach, and why was going the digital route this time the right call for this record? Well, we definitely wanted to shape it differently and spend more time on it. Um, and working with Danny at his studio called Good Danny's. I'm going to plug that real quick. He definitely helped us navigate that that new direction. I will also just say most of these songs we didn't get to really work on until like right before we got into the studio because very luckily we got to like say yes to a bunch of tour dates um, that happened in 2019 which filled up our time instead of like working on the record, we were doing that, which was also in a way working on the record because it helped us kind of see things a little differently. But we just didn't really know what everyone was doing yet. I feel like so we, if so having that like time to build up the rhythm, like the bass and the drums first and pile on top of that, like it just felt easiest I think in a very logical way (laughs) made sense I remember when we were trying to figure out years 
the first record, um, Laura wanted to sing live with everybody playing. And I remember thinking like, that's crazy. <laughs> a crazy idea. Um, but, but we did it. And like, I think, I don't know, 80 to 90% of the vocals on that record are, are just her like singing live, um, while we're all playing. Um, so I definitely think it captured like a vibe and a moment. And, um, Evan, the guy who helped us make that record, uh, really wanted to work with tape and we're, he was right in that instinct too. And then, so I just think like, yeah, I wanted to try to challenge ourselves a new approach. Um, we did a one-off song, um, called terrified like a year or so ago, maybe two years ago. I don't really remember. Um, well, yeah, 2019 summer. That's when we I think recorded is when it. we recorded it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, before going on tour. Yeah, a year and a half ago. And we we built it up piece by piece. That was the first time we'd ever done that in a studio. And we got a whole song done in a day, and we were just like, oh, that was like cool. It was a really cool way to do it. So we wanted to work on that in that mode. Yeah, see, time has been so crazy, I forgot about that. That was <laughs> definitely a big part of it. <laughs> The other thing was like, we still, like Laura still ended up for, for this record, Laura still ended up singing scratch vocals, just like in the room where all of us were just like milling around. And, um, we ended up using most of those too, just cause they also like had a vibe about them. So, um, we tried to, you know, still use some live elements as well. So conceptually the band has kind of described the record as a prom album in terms of its highs and its lows emotionally. Do you think, too, that that description also points to how love is often invested in and felt more at a younger age? I feel like the record just, like, deeply invests in love, even when it hurts um, or when it's confusing or uh, mysterious, which is something which is something to say as we all get older and get potentially more jaded. Do you think that's kind of an accurate uh, description for you guys in terms of carrying on the metaphor? I love that. That's great. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I think so. Or what, how about this? What about like, when was that moment where you made that connection of like the description for the record? Like, what was that like for you to like process the record in that way? Uh, before Laura, before your answer, I really liked your description too. Uh, that was cool. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. No, I know. That's why I didn't want to like, I didn't want to explain this, but (laughs) you don't have to explain anything then. It's well, we, we started this idea of like prom record more as a mood, uh, for, or like a, a sound soundscape to like try and immerse ourselves in. You guys must've had a pretty serious prom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> pretty wacky prom days i gotta say <laughs> um yeah i would say i had one one pretty wacky prom one very serious prom uh prom in general is just hilarious that's kind of a brag uh, that's kind of a brag the fact that you went to two proms I th- i'd say <laughs> everyone everyone goes to two proms <laughs> even if you don't have a date i didn't have a date at my senior prom with my my gal pals uh, all, all still very good friends. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That was a weird, was a weird prom. Anyways, we don't have to get into that, but, uh, <laughs> I like the, I like the idea of love and, uh, being like 
looked at more seriously at a young age because you think like when in your youth you're you are like way more immature but for whatever reason uh you really take like your crushes very seriously or your relationships very seriously it's like do or die high high stakes kind of drama and that's um not how it is in reality in the real world so maybe maybe there's a disconnect there too because uh you know our present lives aren't uh, we're certainly not like that (laughs) but yeah we wanted to be um an albuquerque prom band uh like in an alt timeline when global cooling was a thing like that was something we said a lot in the tour van we were like all right think about the next record this is this is the vibe this is what we're going for yeah we tried to imagine a whole alternate world that that this music would be i mean it sounds way um it's i guess it sounds as stupid as it is i guess i guess i was like sounds stupid yeah you got it yeah like no it sounds under it sounds it sounds insane but it was good to like i don't know create like a different setting to try to get the sounds we wanted but i do think that like as you described kind of more articulately than we've been able to that the love themes and the prom themes i don't know hopefully they dove the, the prom sounds and the love themes hopefully those like dovetail in some in some way so every single for the record has had its own music video and you both were heavily involved in so many different aspects of their creation and i don't think it's coincidence that you both met in film and are so invested in this portion of the music and each music is so distinct and different stylistically. How did you enjoy making them, and what role do you feel like they play for the band? <laughs> did we enjoy making them? Uh, I think we enjoy... <laughs> I think we really enjoy having made them. I think making them can be kind of stressful. Um, yeah. One thing is, like, we're always trying to, like, you know, we want to make multiple videos... Yeah, we do like creating videos. We like editing the the actual like nuts and bolts of carrying a camera around in Texas can be like kind of brutal. But um, it was pretty fun. Uh, my favorite part, though, there's four videos, and one of the videos was made after I left Texas, and so Laura did it all herself, and that was uh, the most fun one for me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't do it all myself, but well, yeah, but I also think it's the best one. I think I think like uh, it was, it was uh, cool to see. Like, yeah, it was it was great. Well, I think it was something that we both have wanted to do, which is to say that I'm always like leading the music video, and we're all in it, and it was uh, we just have been itching to like do something with someone else as the lead and have none of us be in it <laughs> just think it'll for whatever reason i'm sure we just figured it would be more powerful or have more of an impact but yeah i love working on music videos with steven and um and everyone but uh it's it's great because i'll sometimes I'll, I'll like present an idea and he'll be like well how how do you like expand on that like what are five other ways 
to shoot this or have it like grow and i'm like oh yeah i guess i reached a dead end this one isn't good (laughs) throw it out (laughs) uh one fun thing about these videos like um laura and i were in um the la area for a while when we were finishing some of them and we were at my parents house so like they had to witness us like argue <laughs> loudly about the edit. Sorry, I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, and, like, we were getting the color done, so, like, you know, we were just, like, you know, debating that, and just, like, um, I don't know, they were very patient with, like, us, like, stressfully stomping around the house, um, you know, arguing over <laughs> a few frames of a, of a, of a cut, so... Um, the other main visual for the record is obviously the artwork, which is so sick. It just fits the whole feel of the album extremely well. Can you share how this became the artwork for the album from a practical and inspirational standpoint? Well, yeah. Jake Longstreth is the artist um, whose painting this is. We took it from um, a series that he had um, done. We found... This artist, I think, through his partner, who was a film director, I think we were just like on Twitter a couple of years ago. So we both became fans of his work, and we kind of argued over which paintings we liked best. Um, and when the album was coming together, like I just feel like the the tone of the record felt like it fit this series of paintings, like with the kind of more pastel colors. So uh, we reached out to him, and he was super helpful. Uh, he's a musician, so he kind of knows some... We had some, like, friends in common. Um, so, you know, they were able to vouch for us. And, and yeah, we, we sent him some records last week, so I hope he enjoys them. Yeah, I, something that I think drew us to the paintings, which I, I know Stephen said, but... Um, I, I found, like, I realized there's just, like, this this sort of, like, void or, like, this spaciousness in the, the color palette because it all kind of, it's, like, just this kind of haze feeling to it. Even the, the painting of, like, the cloud on, like, a somewhat more sunny day, which is um, the single painting for the song uh, singing, it still feels like you're just like kind of in this haze of a day or a place. And I just really liked that about them. Like it's so maybe it sounds so lame to say to get like lost in a painting, but those ones in particular, I thought were like providing that. Well, uh, Lauren, Steven, thanks so much for answering our general questions. Uh, Now, if you're cool with it, we'd love to, get deeper into the record and go track by track through somewhere. Does that sound cool? Sounds great. Sounds great. All right. First up, we have the track Bad With Time. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Bad With Time? 
Yeah, so this is a really great first track. It's one of the louder tracks on the album, while still fitting the whole style of the album really well. One of the things that stands out to me about the song is how each instrumentalist seems to have kind of their moment on their own instrument to shine. So it just feels like leads are passed around or just moments are are captured by each different instrumentalist. So... Overall, this is just a really strong track to start the record. And what about this song in light of the album as a whole made you want to go ahead and make it the first on the record? I guess I'll say uh, that I I think we both agreed that we, we actually had written that song with like a longer intro and then we cut it and just started with the synth. Um, kind of rising up and so it just felt like okay that's that's obviously gonna be the first track just just felt right sunrise type deal to me so i love the parallelism uh with the end of each of the verses at the end of the first we hear i didn't mean what i said but i wanted you to think i did and at the end of the second we hear i didn't mean what i said but i wanted you or thought i did And these lyrics, along with the song's title, Bad With Time, uh, they also they capture this idea of not quite knowing what you want in the moment, which I think is a big theme throughout the record. And that lack of clarity is also right in step with the overall title of the record somewhere. But my main question is aligned with the references to Jackie O, Patti Smith and Stevie Nicks. Uh, Why were these artists specifically chosen as a form of what I'm assuming to be some form of self-representation on this song? I think we chose these because they're they're. I don't know, iconic and um, and kind of timeless in a way. And there's there's something like, I mean, almost comical about like claiming that those mantles. Uh, and I think we hoped that like it would just be a nice illustration, or at least when we wrote it, I don't know if we were really thinking about thinking about it but then listening back to the words that just kind of came up randomly we were like oh this is a a cool way to talk about um or to illustrate how like you kind of create you kind of idolize the person that you're falling for in uh when you're kind of falling in love with someone so uh it it that's what it made us feel upon listening back but i think when we wrote it it was kind of a subconscious thing awesome Next up, we have the second track, Everything I Had. thoughts on everything i had so this song has one of my favorite intros on the album the muted bass and drums leading into the electric guitar lead it's just an incredible vibe i love the long outro and in my opinion the piano is the musical standout to me on this song one of the things that you do on the entire album really 
is that you don't follow a normal song structure. You don't just do a normal like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus type of structure. You more just go into sections that feel good and, and change it up. And I would say this song is the standout from that aspect for me as well of just uh, really interesting song structures. So can you talk about what led to that approach for this song? We were playing this song live. It's one of the few ones we played live um, uh, before we recorded it. And, like, we knew that we went up to the bridge or whatever, and then, like, we went back into the same rhythm. And we didn't really have, like... I think it it ended live just, like, I don't know, the same way the the kind of musical interludes were happening. And we wanted this, like, live, it felt like it needed this explosion of energy, like, at the end. And I think what happens when you write a bunch of songs is sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I just did that last week, even if you're not, like, if you didn't record the song or whatever. So I don't know. I don't know if it was Laura's idea. But at some point when we were working out the song to actually record it, we were like, what if we do the opposite? What if we go go low, you know, um, and lower the energy. And then Laura had written, um, this counter melody that like was my favorite melody of the song. So that needed a place to shine. And that's, that, that's played on the synth at the end. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is that, uh, all the piano at the end, I think that was all one, one take that Laura just, uh, did it did at the end i know i'm just praising laura but um he's really trying to just <laughs> butter me up no but you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm 1500 miles away you know i uh it's fun to <laughs> um so so yeah. yeah i don't know i don't know what your memories were laura yeah i mean i you know my brain i don't know where my memories are but <laughs> i <laughs> i do love i i think i i, I mean i remember just the kind of like groove that we could we all were just loving playing that song live even though it wasn't finished we were just like whatever like screw this we got to play it it's so fun to play and um i think just being able to like remember that that groove and like that slow simmer for it like i don't know it was it was just fun to do to to let the bass and the the rhythm shine a little more too i think was fun so uh one of the reasons our podcast is called long distance listening is because andrew and i live a long ways away right now and it's to help us connect we're also trying to connect artists with fans who are usually at a distance but who knew we're connecting couples that already exist together (laughs) (laughs) i know i know it's the long distance relationship well if i called if i called laura tonight and just told her how much i loved her piano outro of everything i had i I don't know what how she would react and her (laughs) and her (laughs) so uh it's a get out of (laughs) here So the first verse is one of my favorite on the record. Um, if you don't mind, I'll read it. Got an apartment three doors down where I used to live. We're not getting any better. We can move out to Los Angeles. No, I hated it when everybody did. I'm not getting any younger. Everything I had, I want it back. And correct me if I'm interpreting the song wrong, but 
the way I see it is there's kind of this tension moving out to L.A. And I know things are complicated where Stephen actually is from L.A., so it's probably going to throw a whole monkey wrench, monkey wrench into my theory. But I feel like for a lot of people, moving to L.A. means both pursuing one's dreams and also giving up on them at the same time in terms of needing to leave everything behind that made you who you are to pursue something you're not, or at least not yet, from a lot of time an artistic or musical standpoint. So I guess my question is, what does L.A. represent for you or embody in this song in particular? Nate, you just said it so much better than we could have. <laughs> that, was, that was so good. <laughs> um, but but uh, I'm interested. Laura, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I agree. That was That was kind of perfect. I think it represents like this, yeah, this, this idea that things would be better if you just went ahead and did this thing that you've been avoiding because, you know, everyone else is doing it. Why not? (laughs) You know, uh, um, but yeah, you know, it won't bring you any happiness or joy or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think conflicted is like the perfect, <laughs> perfect word to describe it. Next up, we have the track singing. thoughts on singing not as a hobby the song (laughs) well the song fittingly has my favorite vocals on the album laura i think the vocals are really well supported from the background instruments as they are throughout the whole album but i really feel like your vocals on this track from the really low vocals to high vocals to your falsetto it's just a perfect collection of vocals for the track itself so can you talk about the process of writing the melodies and cadences for this track Mm. well thank you uh (laughs) to me i guess i could say at least delivering it um we played it live a lot um this is like another song that we actually got to play live it was an earlier it was written earlier than a lot of the others from this album um when you're obviously you know in that kind of setting you try to like push your voice out a little more than maybe normal so i think there's something from that stuck and the the vibe of this song to me is very like you know like this is like a hangover song to me like uh, i'm sure steven's rolling his eyes right now at that (laughs) (laughs) that that interpretation but um i i think it's just like that struggle of like you know just like trying to get through the day and also like screaming at yourself but internally (laughs) (laughs) um and uh yeah you're just like exhausted so it's 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 just that i don't know i was trying to 
touch on all of the, I guess, various ways one could vocally express exhaustion, (laughs) you know? So uh, the first time I heard this song, I thought it was about religion and the discord between the songwriter and the church with the reference to Sunday morning and people singing in a parking lot. Um, And though that might be somewhere in the background still, I read on Stereo Gum that this is actually about a seemingly never-ending or constantly reoccurring fight with a partner. And this person's so frustrated that their partner doesn't see things the same way they do. And the line that really grabs my attention the most, and potentially the line that gets me the most on the record, is waiting for my head to roll. And at first, it didn't hit me at all because I didn't know what it meant, and I was kind of confused by it. Um, Laura brought up Stephen's eyes rolling. I thought it that was like my natural connection, like head eyes rolling, head rolling. I just didn't get it. Um, but I, even though I'm not a scientist, I know how to use the Google. And I did my research that way, and um, I learned a bit more about what that phrase potentially means. But what led to the writing of that line in particular? Um, I think that when we were definitely like trying to be um, pretty uh, concise, like there aren't a lot of words in that song. You know, there's there's only a few phrases that are repeated, um, and I think that we had two candidates that we were choosing between for the, that like repeated section. And it just felt, and, and I don't, I don't know what you looked up and I'm, I'm so glad you have a connection to it. So I'm very wary of like altering your connection to that line by anything that we might say, because like, you know, I don't think we should be able to tell you (laughs) any, you know, I don't think we should be able to change your, your, uh, uh, opinion of the line. But, um, I think it just really fit with like, arguing with a partner maybe knowing you're wrong or knowing they're wrong or like kind of going through a script that you know where it's headed um and uh i don't know knowing that a consequence is going to come either for you or for them or whatever something like that all right uh next up uh we have the song that describes andrew the most and it's called bad girl What do you think about this song? <laughs> I'm not going to play off that because I don't know where to go. I wish you would. I wish I... Well, I would love to take a song to just talk about the drums and bass on the album. They are so locked in throughout this album. And even though this is the slowest song up to this point, the drums and bass grooves still pull you right in right away. So can you talk specifically, kind of if you know, about Justin and Sarah, how they work together and their role both on this song and the record as a whole? Yeah. 
I think, well, um, it's funny. It didn't, I didn't realize this until I was in a, like a band that the stage setup for a drummer and a bassist, they should be on like in the same area on the stage plot. Like they like to be together. And I was always like, Oh yeah, Justin, you go on this end and Sarah, you're over here. And then like, they're like, nah, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work for us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, like they, they do, they lock into one another really well. And, um, I think even while we were tracking that song, they were sitting in the same, in the drum room, uh, tracking together, which I thought was just really lovely and sweet. And I'm glad you, you feel like that song has a strong backbone because that's definitely what, what was intended. So I can't help but notice, uh, this is the second song in a group of 11 with the word bad in the title. Uh, both songs are, and Stephen touched on this earlier in the general interview portion about like being self-deprecating. I think both song titles are self-deprecating in nature, but Bad Girl, it's kind of a little different. I've, I feel like what I find really interesting about this song is the balance of feeling both partly to blame but also simultaneously an inevitable victim in this situation and feeling caught in between those two realities, perceiving there's no really way out. And so basically it seems like the phrase bad girl is being both used honestly and facetiously at the same time. And I think we want blame in relationships to be black and white, but it isn't always that way. How did the phrase bad girl grow into anchoring the message of this song for you personally? I love the way you're forming all of these questions and thoughts. They're so nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I should say this kind of funny fact, but I originally, I was kind of writing this song like, talking about myself but also like that person I was at the time with this other person and I would I tried to like pass the blame and I originally said bad boy Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I was like um yeah I should probably own up to this like person I was uh I just I know somewhere there's a voice memo of me singing that a totally different way it's just funny um I think just using the word girl is um, when you're talking about like a woman is such a um, slight of, you know, like it's it's not okay, but it's also like it's a way to describe like for myself, like a a way to describe that maturity level or whatever it is that um, I was. uh, Yeah, like the innocence of the time. Um, maybe that's too vague of a way to put it, but I think, I think it's just like, I don't know, I'm still figuring that, (laughs) that part of my life out and who knows (laughs) what it all meant. But, um, being that, that kind of crazy part of yourself to live in like the moment and just like be wild is something that uh, might, might always be like, uh, I'm on the brink of, (laughs) And uh, so it's just like a way of being. I think saying being the bad girl is like important to yeah. know. You're you're not just a bad girl. You're be you're like doing it. So yeah. Next up, we have the track Karen O. My father called three times. 
on care now so the song starts with a finger picking slash strumming electric guitar and vocals and it's able to slowly build into a really beautiful crescendo at the end of the track and as per usual on this album one of the strengths is the dynamics you seem to be able to be minimalistic with your approach musically while still having so much happening for the listener to pay attention to it varies track by track, but it never gets to be too much or too little at the same time. It's just right for what the song needs. And that just right amount is not only true with the dynamics, but also with how crowded or empty each song is instrumentally. So with Karen O, what was the thought process for keeping it relatively sparse, and how did you execute on creating such a powerful ending without adding too much noise or filler. I think we always, with that song, we we really wanted to make it like soft-spoken, confessional uh, type setting where it's it's very it's very sparse and and kind of echoey at the same time. Um, so. I think there's just like that feeling of falling into something that we tried to like convey in that, in that world, in that realm of like a lot of space, if that makes any sense. Like that when I would listen back to like some of the kind of ghosty reverb stuff we were adding to um, uh, like the Juno, we did some padding here and there but only on the end and just like really waiting really biding our time with the crescendo I think was just really helpful and and there were times where I was like trying to because that was a song I went back and redid some vocals and um yeah like that bridge I was like trying to get bigger and um it just like was not the right mood it wasn't the right vibe you know to like be singery like (laughs) so I felt like I needed to just like yeah let let the breath like escape in its its own way like not pushing it too hard or adding too much vibrato or like getting too technical with it you know so I was interested in in that and we really tried to restrict ourselves from adding too much even in the studio to later take away I think we only did like maybe a couple things that we were like no no let's lose this because we were worried that we would just end up adding stuff in the end that we would have to take out or like you know think think about too much and we just knew like that first demo of that song was just guitar and like a piano in a room and it was just like uh, that just felt perfect the way it was already so yeah I think it also was a a time for Sarah Sarah's drumming style style to kind of shine um and I think it just ended up working well with like what Laura was saying with like the quieter vocal like a, a drum build without the accompanying yell you know uh so yeah Sarah added a lot for sure so lyrically um 
the bridge uh it, it gets me every time um it, it it reads my father called three times but my mailbox is full of his messages though i doubt he knows and i'm just gonna be honest i already hinted at this this line it just hits me like a ton of bricks um and just how we can take for granted the hearts of those who love us but i also realize these lines can be taken in different ways um and uh i thought of some other potential interpretations so we'll leave that open but overall this father figure in this song just what like i I realize they're the only person kind of given an identity outside of Karen O and in um, Bad With Time, the other uh, powerful female um, artists. Like, what's significant about this father figure uh, for you in this track? Or what what role do you feel like they play in uh, the overall theme of this song? Nate, I think you're the first um, person to have brought this line up which is cool i'd say uh don't you think it stems a little bit laura from from uh some sort of composite of like our own behavior and then also the behavior of parents of our own parents and, and people that we love and just like so it is it does it is born from like real experiences of uh you know drunk or or mentally unstable parents um kind of pushing against you know kind of uh you know just literally trying to reach you i guess at certain points um but i think that also i don't know again i'm kind of like speaking as a listener too because sometimes we just step back and try to find out what we're saying but uh i don't know it's hard for me to be articulate about it about (laughs) so laura you try well, I think you're right. And it's like, I think it taps into like uh, the personal experiences that we've had is like, it's, it's, it can stem from like loneliness, you know, and, um, and you're like the support system for that person that, you know, your own parent sometimes. And, um, yeah, sometimes you just, um, are not able to have the emotional bandwidth because you're dealing with your own stuff. And um, I would like to mention that um, the, the father figure is, is definitely throughout um, our songwriting. Like, he's in other songs too, so... <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Uh, next track, Where Dads Are Everywhere. Alright, Andrew, what are your thoughts on everywhere? 
So the song's awesome. Uh, it kind of reminds me, especially the vocals, uh, throughout the song of like an Alanis Morissette type of vocal approach to it. Uh, and the instrumentation behind it is incredible. On top of that, there's a really incredible instrumental at the end of this track that feels super fitting. So can you talk about the idea behind ending this track with that long instrumental? Um, yeah. I love, I love it. Alanis Morissette. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I This was a song that I got to... Um, this is the first song that I played guitar on with the band. Uh, or one of the first songs. So I was like ready to rock and roll. You know, I was like, let's jam out, you guys. <laughs> no. um, but kind of, sort of, I guess. Uh, this song is really like embodies my anxieties and um the many uh, not to brag <laughs> panic attacks i've had <laughs> and uh so uh, the idea launching off of the lyrics always i think everything that we do as far as like you know trying to find the shape of a song like always comes from the the melody and the lyrics and saying like i can't come calm down and like obviously just i just wanted to launch into like this big build craziness and yeah it was an opportunity for everyone to to have their own little moments which i i really loved and like mapping that all together was a lot of fun and um you know had like a big whiteboard in the back of the room that we were, we kept being like all right so like <laughs> this section is called this and this comes this many times and then we're gonna go to that and like that kept changing and we kept expanding and shortening it but yeah uh long story short i think we just wanted to be able to play to the for the audience a little bit more than we normally do in a in a live performance as well so it it stuck for the record like that's the kind of thing where normally we probably would cut it off of the <laughs> the actual recording but yeah it was fun so this is probably the happiest and most hopeful sounding song on the album for me uh a lot of the songs from a lyrical and conceptual standpoint relate to relational closeness in terms of proximity and so I feel like that only heightens the meaning and importance of the line on this track, girl, you're everywhere. And it's the only line in the chorus, so it's that much more emphasized and it permeates the song that much more and um, reveals itself everywhere in a certain sense. What was the thought process of sticking to the one-line chorus and does the fact that the chorus is one line at all connect conceptually with what the song's about in terms of the girl being everywhere and kind of permeating uh, everything. Uh, hmm. This is uh, definitely a very emotional song for me. So I'm going to maybe talk like an idiot for a second, but um, <laughs> the uh, chorus punctuating that, that single line, I think it was just like, it was the only thing I could get out while writing it it was it's really it's just that simple like someone you love is going to be with you forever even if they're not here 
And it really trips you up sometimes if you think about that person and they're not here, right? Like, but you feel like you you can hear them, you can see them, like you, something reminds you of that person. It's all like these weird coincidences, of course, because I don't know if there's really like a spirit <laughs> that, that stay out there. It's kind of a dark song, I guess. Sorry. But um, it's a celebration, too, of like someone that you love and um, all the complications of, of grief, I guess. Um, and it's even though it's complicated, it is really that simple that just someone's with you, you know, in in whatever way. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about that. Next up. Uh, we have how often I laugh at Andrew's jokes uh, once in a while. once in a while your dig at me was was pretty perfect right there i appreciated that all right so i do want to just talk about the synths on this song uh they're really awesome from the beginning synth of the track uh that just has this amazing sound to the very ending one um the synths on this album tend to be used i would say mainly as texture while occasionally taking a lead part and this song seems to have every different approach to synths from from texture to lead um and and i would say that my favorite part of the song is that synth lead at the end of the song and so how did you come up with the tone for that last synth lead in the song i just i love that tone nice um yeah i mean definitely anything to do with tone is all danny uh he really uh, like we could explain like explain kind of the idea of the texture and he was just like oh i i got you like um i i know what channels to bust this through and like how to make this really crazy and i know i have this like other weird synth we could kind of layer on top of that so i think that ending was like it was both the poly six and the juno right steven that was it it was yeah it was really fun to to work with him on that because he just he had all the tricks you know and uh yeah i love how that turned out i think that that was another song that like went through many stages many life forms before it got to that synth world um but i'm so glad it it got there So the lines that start the song are, I was drunk, I was broke, and a coward. I still am. And how many lines on this album are going to destroy me? Come on. Spare spare us (laughs) listeners. Like, please. (laughs) Um, So I think this song has some of the lowest lows on the album. Um, But with these lows come these moments um, of clarity. Um, and almost like hitting rock bottom helps um, provide just this like illumination of what needs to change or what needs to happen despite feeling continually stuck in this rut and there's this tension between 
feeling stuck there like you're always there and yet at the same time uh knowing what it takes to get better on a certain level how i guess my question is um would you say this feeling of rock bottom kind of encapsulates the song uh you guys are good at this Uh, you guys are being very insightful and uh making me feel weird it's good Um, (laughs) uh, I definitely think that, you know, rock bottoms can be good, um, and that, uh, uh, particularly when you're correct, that there isn't a bottom further down (laughs) than than the one you thought was rock bottom. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, I hadn't. I hadn't kind of put it in that frame, but I do like that idea that there's, yeah, attention, attention there and that it kind of is across the record. So, yes, I do think that you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I think that, I think you're right too in that, um, rock bottom is, is not always good (laughs) for a relationship. So, (laughs) I should, I guess I should say I, I am sober, so it is like, uh, good. If rock bottom leads to sobriety, I support it. If, if that's what a person needs. Uh, so, uh, sobriety has been better than being drunk and a coward for sure. That's awesome. Next up, we have the track Finding Out. So this is one of the most upbeat songs on the album. Still, as per usual, it has some insane dynamic ranges uh, for the track. Were those dynamics for this song always the goal from the outset? Or did the song develop from a softer track into something that would eventually bloom? It was a it was a bloomer for sure. Maybe a late bloomer. But um, it bloomed nonetheless. I think that... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember like the, even the, what the demo sounded like, and I'm I'm uh, maybe the rhythm was always there, but I, um, the other shapes like didn't present themselves until later. Yeah, nothing nothing more interesting to add to that. I think I think you got it. <laughs> I remember when Laura was playing. I remember like when we were first figuring it out. Um, you know, Laura and I aren't really very. We don't know a lot about music theory, but like it was pretty minor and then we figured out how to like change the keep the melody but change the chord progression to a major chord progression by the end and I remember thinking that was kind of um important for the song and it allowed it to I don't know it allowed it to have more dynamics within it because you could kind of like end on this brighter note um yeah that first you're making me remember how I even got that first chord um that I wanted to work with was like I I did like some Elliot Smith cover night (laughs) (laughs) learned a bunch of his songs and that was totally like a variation of one of the chords I can't remember what song it was but uh very minor yeah for sure but 
We added the brightness. Um, Steven loves a good major. You got to put a major in there. (laughs) (laughs) So my first question is, I noticed that on um, the link you sent us with the record on it, finding out had the word new in parentheses after that. And so was this a late addition to the record or maybe did you just, was it late on getting that final copy? What's the What's the kind of story on that, if there is one? We pulled a Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. My, I think Stephen just wanted to to soften just that guitar in the beginning. My guitar playing, I should say, because I'm not a good guitar player. Uh, I get a little chonky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it's true to our our usual like approach to when it's just like uh, vocals and guitar to really drastically separate the two and like really bury a drier sounding guitar underneath, you know. Yeah, like when you listen to old records from the '60s or the '50s, like the the rhythm guitar is you have to you have to actively strain to hear it, and I love that. And uh, a lot of times I think, you know, we mix things, we mix things with like a more modern ear where it's like freaking guitar in the front seat. And uh, so, yeah, we just wanted to um, mellow it out. So the title of the track is found in the lines, but I'm just finding out why you do it to me. And this idea of finding out is, I think, somewhat revolutionary for the album in terms of all the unknowns, all the murkiness, all the messiness. Discovery is something that contrasts all of those things and brings a little bit of light into the darkness. And the song displays how discovery often involves a lot of failure and need for second chances. Thinking about this song as we were preparing for the interview made me think how sometimes we'd like to think we know someone and are able to put them in a box. And I think we end up putting limits on a lot of people, including ourselves. Why do you feel like this kind of discovery or uncovering found in the song is so important in a relationship? Um, I love that. I love the idea of like, yeah, putting people in a box and limiting them. No, no. <laughs> not actively doing it, but <laughs> to represent the song in that way. God, I, who am I? Um, so, yeah, to the relationship standpoint, I'd say, I mean, it's everything to your relationship to grow together and to discover like new things about each other. And even if it's not what you would expect, um, I mean, if it's... If it's meant to be, it's meant to be, as they say. So um, you kind of you take the good with the bad and all of that. Um, But you tend to kind of if you want a relationship and you want the that relationship to work. Yeah, you 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 roll with it. You enjoy it. I don't know how else to put it. I think it's important. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I also think like. I love the lyric because it's it can be double-edged too, you know? Like it can be about a dark realization um, <clears throat> about just like relationship dynamics that you're trying not to repeat or that, you know, that you've you that you're just learning about, you know. Yeah, it's it's fun that it, it's a line that repeats because with every repetition of the line, it's like there's a different intent behind it, maybe. 
So I thought that was fun to, to add in that way. Next up, we have the song Seasons. seasons so the guitars throughout this entire album are incredible but this track might have my personal favorite uh guitar parts on the album the tone's just perfect throughout the song and i love how well the guitars play on top of each other how did you guys write these guitar parts for this track and what part of the songwriting and arrangement process do you start layering instruments and specifically guitars that's definitely one of my favorite, yeah, probably my favorite guitar line at the end of that song. Just that, like, cyclical, like, yeah, uh, not, shouldn't use the word melodic, that's dumb. Uh, hypnotic is what I meant to say. I think there's times where Michael's, we're just playing a song and he's like, oh, I have this idea, how about this? And he'll play it in a place, but then... Like I want to, we, we, any one of us might say like suggest it somewhere else. And then as soon as like, yeah, as soon as we got to the ending, I was, it's just like, don't stop. Just let it flow. Like, let's just let it repeat over and over again. Cause it's so lovely and just let it wash over you. But yeah, I think he, he, he's got so many nuggets that he just like, He's always he always always has them on the ready, but it's just like he's sometimes he's shy also with like sharing things because it's hard for me to hear things while we're practicing. Like he'll do stuff that I don't notice, and we record every practice. Um, So then I'll listen back and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, wow, okay, I had no idea he was playing that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally missed it, but glad I have it here." Well, the ideas the ideas come and leave Michael quickly too. So like we have yeah. to catch it for him. Exactly. Like, <laughs> a lot of times I'll be like, "Oh, just play that thing you played last time. I loved it." And he's like, "I couldn't even tell you what it was." So the chorus starts with uh, the line dividing the light into seasons, and each time uh, it heads in a different direction. Keeping your hand on my back, swearing you're better than that, swearing you're wanting it back. What was the process in the song of titling it Seasons? Like, what was there any competitive or competing names, or was that always a no-brainer? What was behind that thought process? Wow, you're calling us out because yeah, you're calling us out hard. or something. How did <laughs> <What>? you know? <laughs> yeah, there was. It was always named something else entirely, and um, I guess I can say what it was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can go for it. Uttering its name is feels wrong. Um, so it was always called <laughs> Real Love, which is a common uh, name, you know, for some other songs out there. Um, well, as you know, we already repeated bad twice yep. in, a, in a titles. We couldn't have real in another title. 
Yeah. Or if you did, you would have to name the whole record real bad or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really bad. Yeah. Really bad. Really bad. And you're like, we promise it doesn't describe the quality. It's just a thematic thing. So that's that's the um, simple answer, I would say. Uh, yeah, but I think once we figured it out, it felt better. I mean, like, especially because the real love line changes, but the seasons line, you know, doesn't. Um, so it felt right. But yeah, we're still working on we're still working on calling it that internally. We're having to, you know, switch it up. All right. Next up, we have a real thing. thoughts on real thing yeah so as the album starts to come to a close with the second to last track we're treated to just a really beautiful song the chord structures on this album although occasionally more experimental tend to be calming and help keep the listener lost in the music instead of pulling the listener out of it so can you talk about your approach to chord structures for this song and how do you decide when to play it safe versus when to be experimental all while keeping the song simplicity and beauty in mind oh well <laughs> to i guess the first point uh, about the chord structures and stuff um this was a song that started um instrumentally with michael bringing it to us um he basically had all of the melodies and uh and, and I don't know if he had a real arrangement to it, but he, he would play them in whatever order uh, it used to be. <laughs> we, we since changed it. Um, but it was funny because he's like someone that doesn't, and I just kind of learned this recently, that he doesn't really always like know what chord he's playing. I mean, he knows, but like it, it he has to like back engineer it sometimes. And uh, I think that, it was it was fun for us all to like kind of pick it apart in that way to go from something where we all kind of had to back engineer it and it gave it's it's always rhythmic like he was always picking which was cool um and we we just started like playing with it without lyrics at first in, in a room you know and it allowed us maybe to branch into like different ways of of playing that, that we normally don't get to like sarah was doing all this cool brushwork and really playing to the guitar rhythm and yeah it, it was a lot of like improv improv improvisation at first but it stuck because it was like so natural together yeah i don't know if we ever think we're being experimental <laughs> <laughs> I think we we're always playing it safe, wouldn't you say, Stephen? I think we love pop. You know, we just like love to <laughs> package things. I think it has to feel. I think. I mean, I think it has to feel like it's uh, organically emerging from whatever like the song wants. I know that sounds silly, but like 
I think you know when a song like finds its form and um in this case in this case Michael did have like all these amazing sections and we definitely like picked the most boring ones and repeated them <laughs> just so, yeah we just, just like just so the melody at it. <laughs> yeah we and we kind of we kind of like just so the melody could take lead so I don't know if how he feels about that but like uh you know, so I think that the little, the more experimental stuff that happens kind of like near to the end, it feels like it kind of emerges out of something sturdier, I guess. But Michael's the best. And uh, yeah, sometimes we like, we move his pieces around to try to make a pop song. And uh, I haven't really asked him how he feels about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we already touched on this. Uh, Seasons has the line, don't it feel like real love? And the theme of realness continues. Uh, the main refrain in the chorus is essentially, are you the real thing? Honey, I'm the real thing. And I think these lines are so interesting. The first question that comes to my head when I listen to it, especially initially, is why is there a need to make this statement, honey, I'm the real thing? Like, shouldn't it just be a given? But then as I thought through it more and I thought through how often we aren't ourselves and how often our love is disingenuous or selfish, it really made me realize how special of a statement this is when you can say it honestly. And what I find most interesting about the song is how this song in light of its placement on the record seems to point out that sometimes we look for relationships instead of looking for ourselves. And so in the midst of all the ambiguity, messiness, and mystery on the record what did it mean for you to have this moment of clarity yeah well, that's so um that's uh it's hitting me hard <laughs> um <laughs> i do think there's some nice confidence in that chorus but underneath that there's still some conflicted and confused feelings and uh you know hopefully the listener vibes with that i guess <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i think um i think it's a it, i love only focusing on that line but the whole like back and forth ends with i'll be all right which to me is just like such a like nonchalant like cop out like yeah whatever like <laughs> <laughs> um and it kind of like yeah it like sets i don't know it sets a totally different picture of like the the voice to me when when it ends like that which i find kind of funny and when we put the song here you know in the in the album order because we kind of did the album order after we'd recorded the songs it felt totally right and we you know we didn't really we didn't really interrogate why it did but but i'm glad i'm hope i'm hoping that it in your theory it feels like it makes sense that it's there so i'm glad that we're we're picking up on something we got our closing track and that is colors on colors 
So the slow intro starts to help transition us out of this album. You seem to have opted kind of for the soft and slow ending for the album, which just feels so fitting. Um, It has some of the most obvious piano parts on the whole album versus maybe some background stuff. This is very forefront in the mix. Uh, The track takes its time while never getting too loud. Can you talk about how the band ended up picking this as the closing track? And was it even just written from the get-go to be the closing track? Um, I think as soon as it was written, we knew it would be the closing track. I wanted this it to be written. the opening track. <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, yeah, you, you did. I you love did. it. Oh, shit. I, did. I forgot. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of this song. It's in, 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 in all of its incarnations. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, like, imagined it to be the opener, but not in the form that it's now in. But go ahead, Laura. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Well, I guess I always thought it would be the closer. <laughs> <laughs> proving my proving my point from earlier. Yeah, it's a good, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in control. Um, yeah, uh, I, I guess it it was written outside of whether or not it was going to be on the record. I think too. I wasn't sure if it was going to go anywhere else, and I just thought like the simplicity of the round was interesting to like just keep it that way i didn't want to like expand on it that much so when it when we decided like okay well that's all this song is then okay it's finished um where where the hell does it go on the record (laughs) Um, it's so different than you know from all the rest of it but yeah so i don't know how you ended this record. Well, actually I do know because you did it throughout the whole record, but you ended this record simultaneously hopeful and full of doubt. I feel like, and (laughs) I just feel like a lot of the record is kind of like that. Um, and even though this is the shortest track lyrically, it also contains the album title and is extremely vital to the record. Uh, sometimes, it's much more difficult to write shorter songs than longer ones and uh, just to be extremely concise or keep things the way they are, not to add, to let things speak for themselves. What was the process of writing these lyrics specifically and when did you know you'd want to keep them the way that they currently stand today? I think I had to be told that I didn't need to add anymore, you know, <laughs> Uh, because the, the lyrics were, they were written very quickly. It really, it was just like, it just came to be very, very fast. And I don't know, it's nice to have like someone you can partner with to tell you like what, what you have might be special or what, you know, what is worth keeping and not to give up on, even though it's just like maybe in the moment feels like only a piece of something you're trying to get out. Yeah, I can thank Steven for that, for kind of directing it towards, like, me finishing it. So before we leave, uh, we usually take time to share our favorite track. Now, we understand these are your babies, and you're not supposed to have favorites, but we all know uh, you do sometimes. Um, So anyways, uh, Andrew and I will share first. Uh, You don't have to pick a favorite song if you don't want to, but... If you would like to, that's cool. So, Andrew, what's your favorite song? 
Yeah. There's a couple different ways I was leaning because there is a wide range to the album. Um, As far as loud or soft, I could have gone either direction. But I'm going to go with Bad With Time. Um, I obviously have listened to this album probably a good 20 or so times by now. And the last time I listened through it was this afternoon, um, which is probably eight or so hours ago now. And Bad With Time has been stuck in my head like ever since I listened to it the last time. So it's like literally throughout this whole interview, it's just different moments of that song are stuck in my head. And uh, I think you wrote a catchy song that's incredible at the same time. So I'm going to go with Bad With Time. How about you, Nate? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Real Thing, and probably why is because, to be honest, the first time I heard it, I didn't like it. <laughs> I I didn't like it. I, I felt like uh, part of it was me not really getting the lyrics and being kind of confused. And the beauty in that song is, like, subtle but once you get it you really get it and it was a song that once I got it I just fell head over heels for it and I always love when you fall in love with something musically that you weren't too high on at first and that process of falling in love after however many listens as Andrew said we've listened to this record so many times already so just that process and ending up loving the track I think is special for me so to both of you, do you have a favorite currently? I know it changes probably too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely things change. I know it's like trendy to say, but I think everything I had is, um, it's something that I'll, I've always come back to, even though bad with time is like, is, is one that does get stuck in my head. Um, yeah, everything I had all the way. Uh, well, I mentioned colors. That's a favorite, um, an addition, finding out like we said we we reopened the mix for that and uh laura said um <laughs> laura said i'm not gonna pay for reopening that so i spent <laughs> i spent my own money <laughs> mellowing out the guitars because i love uh because uh um you know i can say i can laura, laura wrote that song so i love that song so uh so yeah that's my favorite so, uh, Laura and Steven, uh, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, this was such a treat for us. So enjoyable. Uh, we're so excited for Summer's release again out on February 5th on Run for Cover Records. Everyone, buy the vinyl. The variants are gorgeous. Get all of them right now. Max out your credit card. You need these. Get some merch. Follow Sun June on all uh, the, your socials so you won't miss out on any future tour announcements if the world doesn't end before then. And again, Andrew and I just want to thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to us and share so much cool information on the record. Uh, we wish you both uh, the best. Oh. Thanks, guys. It was great talking to you. And um, yeah, go long distance podcasts. Woo-hoo. Yeah, thank you guys so much. All right, that was our interview with Laura and Steven from Sunjun. It was a great interview. We had a lot of fun, and we hope you guys did 
to reach out and thank them for joining us and uh, tell us what your favorite track is on the album. Tell us what you like about Somewhere. Uh, it's an incredible album, and we want to hear what you like about the album. You can find us on all of our socials. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at LDLPod, and you can also email us at listening at gmail.com. You can subscribe and like the podcast to make sure you don't miss all of our other episodes. we got some exciting episodes coming out uh, later this year. And so just make sure that you are subscribed to the pod for all of those. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Sun, June. January, moon. You're gonna watch Dune. Timothy Chalamet at Spoon. Poor guy cut out, on me at least. Well, we're almost done. I think Nate's cut out. Is anybody on the phone with me? Oh, no, I'm cut out.